keep on with your family. Next thing I know, I got all kinds of enemies. Who are these enemies? Now I'm jumping up buildings, damn, I can fly. This dude wanna kill me, shit, I just hide. Got my new brother and everyone counting on me. Maybe I got a hero inside. Saying I'm the chosen one. And now the party's just begun. All this power pulsing through. Bounce off me like I'm bulletproof. I'm gonna shine on it from the top of the world. Don't even know my strength, but you're all gonna learn. Feel the electricity. You know the city won't be the same. I'm gonna shine on it from the edge of it all. When danger looks my way, no one answer the call. Feel the electricity. You know the city won't be the same. You'll all be shouting my name. Welcome to episode 51 of Yelling About Comics. This evening, it is just Carrie and I together to talk about Shazam! 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 Um, so we talked previously about this on the podcast and how I think this was one of those movies that when we first saw the trailers, I think we were both a little surprised that when I heard they were making a Shazam movie, I was like, oh, really? Okay. And then when I saw the trailer okay, maybe this is going to be good. We went and see it, saw it. I really liked it. I loved it. I liked it better than I liked Captain Marvel. <gasps> Actually, that's totally fair. Yeah, I was, well, I was trying to explain it, that I was like, you know, for me, Captain Marvel was like a C or a C plus movie. And I, I said that before when we did our thing, that I liked it, I didn't love it. I mean, it was just middle of the road. Um, this felt more like a C plus B minus. I liked it a lot. I mean, I love it, but I really did like it. They did so many things so well. And again, Zachary Levi is the best person for this role, hands down. I was completely unfamiliar with him before this. Um, Aside from Tangled? Yeah. I didn't have like a big, I didn't have, for me, it was Mark Strong that drew me in because he is a fine looking man and I just love him. Not in this movie, he wasn't. He creeped me the fuck out. Oh, with the eye. The eye. Yeah, I love him as a villain. He's probably my favorite British villain. Hmm. I would say, yeah. In fact, actually, when we were seeing it, I was like, oh, you know, they could have used the Deadpool thing. A British villain. (laughs) Mark Strong. Also, I want to say that they had one of my favorite character actors in there. And oh, God, I forgot his name again already. But it was the guy who played Mark Strong's dad. He is in the cinematic masterpiece Gremlins 2. I love Gremlins 2 as a movie because it's just so off the wall. They were clearly having fun with it. And the story behind it is just absolutely wonderful with them lying to the producers with the dailies. Um, so I love that movie and I love him in that movie too. So as soon as like when they're driving in the car, Jim and I both like grab each other. We're like, oh, it's a guy from Gremlins 2. We were so excited. <laughs> I was, I was very excited. Um, but yeah, I thought from start to finish, it was just, it was a well done movie. 
and it had a surprising amount of heart. I teared up in that movie more than once. I did as well. Uh, The first time was when Billy got separated from his mother. And that was because I was thinking of it from my mother's perspective. And that's like, you have a child too. That's your worst nightmare. Is to not be able to find your kid in a busy in a busy place and then when they show him on the police on the hood of the police car you know with like the brown hot cocoa and you can tell he's been crying they're like it's okay like you know they're always coming looking for you just like which i imagine my kids being like just being so scared of not having their mom or their parent with them well let's let's talk about that plot thread for a second because one thing that i really liked surprisingly was that when we were watching it, it shows him on the cop car, and then suddenly it shows him as a teenager, mm-hmm. right, having run away from a foster home. And I was like, that's not how this works, guys. It, it, there's no way that if I get separated from my daughter, I'm not fucking finding her, right? Like, that's, that's not, in that kind of a crowded area, there's no way. So they addressed that So later. what I thought was, you know, because he was trying to find her and he couldn't find her. I was like, oh, my God, something happened to her at that carnival and she got killed or something or something. Right. You know, something has happened. Mm-hmm. But then when he does find her, I was not prepared for that. At I all. was not. And that killed me. That whole scene killed me. The whole scene killed me. And, oh my God, on so many levels, it killed me. I think it killed me because I, when he says to her, he's like, it's not your fault. It was my fault. I ran. Because a kid would do that, right? Like, obviously a kid would be like, well, clearly my mom's looking for me. So this was my fault. So when he said that to her and you can just see that look on her face where she's like, "Mm, yeah. Yeah, I knew something was off immediately when mm-hmm. she seemed... She's like, oh, God. Yeah, extremely put out that he was there and wouldn't even invite him in. Um, I was like, that's a weird response to seeing your child that you haven't seen in uh, 12, 14 years. Or how old was he? No, he was 15. So 10 years about? Yeah. Um, you know, which immediately, like, after that, maybe think of that social worker that he was with after, you know, it was brilliant though how he, <laughs> what he did to the cops was honestly brilliant. And I love the oh, fact that the police officer, when he finally got him, he was like, did you like, did you eat my sandwich? Did you leave me any fries? <laughs> I thought that was at least funny. I, um, I liked it because he had part of the plan. Yeah. Right? Like, a 15-year-old kid would. He's like, I thought it was something clever. But I didn't necessarily think this all the way through. Which makes you think of Meet the Robinsons. That I didn't right. think, <laughs> think this was totally thought through. Um, <laughs> but, no, it's when I started the social worker, and she said, I want you to meet with these people who want you, versus trying to find this woman who apparently never did. And I was like, that well, is... And I liked- I was like, that was mean. I understand what she's doing, but that was mean. And then you find out that's true. Well, I liked what she said to him. And she's like, let me tell you what no one else is gonna. Right. And I 
didn't think that I was hoping something bad happened to the mom. Mm-hmm. But as soon as she said that, she's like, let me tell you what no one else is going to tell you. I was like, oh, geez. Yeah, kid, you got to hear this. And it was that was a really painful, a very painful storyline. Like, and shockingly so, there's there's lots of studies and stuff like this done that like, if your mom leaves you, how devastating that is to kids and stuff. I mean, that's a pretty dark storyline. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Dark for a family movie. I was I was a little shocked by it, to be honest. When she was just like, yeah, I just kind of figured you would be better off with the police. Like, I figured they could help you better. Oh, my God. What? Yeah, when she said that, I was like, I had my hands over my mouth. I was like, I cannot believe I am watching this. And then when he hands her the compass, and she's like, what's this? It's like, oh. That was heartbreaking. And when he was like. That just, oh. I was like, this is sealed it in. Now I'm really wiping tears. And he's like, well, you know, I got to get going. I got to go be with my real family now. Which is like, oh, my God. This is like, this is just so hard to watch and like I wanted to go through the screen and punch this bitch which just says a lot that what a great actress she was to portray that part so well Mm -hmm. another thing I did like was that when they showed so the very beginning of the movie when they're at the carnival and they show um you don't realize it's all from his perspective how his mom is and then you hear the same thing from her perspective and it's like Okay. Now, I don't agree with what she did at right. all. <laughs> but it was just interesting that, you know, because kids, it's going to make me all emotional, but kids, you know, they look to the parent as like yeah. the best person in the world. Mm-hmm. And then when that parent isn't that for them anymore, it's devastating. You don't want to think that your parent wants to leave you or that your parent would hit you or, you know, all all these things. So for me as a parent, watching this was just, it killed me. I was like, I can't imagine my kids, they act, sometimes they're like, they don't like me. I know they don't like me a lot of times, especially when I say no, but they've never looked at me the way Billy did after he realized his mom didn't want him. Yeah. And that was just devastating. Well, and it was, it was an interesting character beat because if you look at our bad guy, his family was awful. And they show that in the beginning, right? He's got this debt. He's clearly the younger spoiled, spoiled, I guess, kid, the brother and the dad are ganging up on him and just being dicks. Yeah. And I don't know. He just struck me as he was just kind of being a regular kid. Right. Which know? scarred him in a different way. You know, he had right. a family, but they treated him like he was worthless. Like he was a, a burden they, to them. They rejected him, but while still keeping him. Whereas right. Billy's mother just straight up rejected him. Mm-hmm. I guess. I thought it was interesting because I was like, oh, that's, I mean, both of these characters have something in common. They have these families who rejected them 
but maybe because Billy's family like legit just straight up rejected him, he was then able to find a different path. Whereas our villain got to stay with these people. And mm-hmm. it clearly, clearly had an effect on him. Well, because not only does his family reject him, but then the wizard Shazam rejects him. And I think that was, I mean, that's obviously the, the final straw. Right. Which is where, okay, so we you mentioned earlier about how Billy's is a dark storyline. Obviously, Dr. Savannah's is also an incredibly dark storyline. And his was more difficult to watch because of the graphic nature of it. Um, yes. When his dad went through the windshield and they showed him on the ground. Yeah. Both of my kids, their eyes were just like huge. And then I leaned over to Gabe. I was like, and that's why you always wear a seatbelt. And he was like, little life lessons. This is like, you know, when Dr. Strange got his hands through the dashboard. I remember pausing the movie and turning to Gabe. I was like, and that is why you don't text and drive. <laughs> yes. No, it's little subtle things yeah. like that, right? So, but so that was horrible. 70s, but that was horrible enough as it was. Yeah. And then there were a lot of moments in there where I have like my hand over my mouth. Cause I'm like, this was not appropriate for a five-year-old. Right. Well, and not to give the pitch mating too much credit, it kind of comes out of left field. Cause absolutely. When, when he's walking up to see. So in the very beginning, when Dr. Savannah, well, what was his name? Thad? I think it was it was some really right pissy ghost name as he's walking up to meet shazam you see all these monsters alongside him right and i was like oh that's by the way as a quick aside can we talk about how absolutely wonderfully they captured the seven deadly sins and those i loved that greed had four hands mm-hmm. it was Grabby. done very very well that was shockingly good because at first I was like oh that's kind of interesting and then when they said that it was the seven deadly sins and they're going over the statues mm-hmm. that is so well done I really liked gluttony too it reminded me actually kind of of a nurgling but just when his mouth opened up at the end and you see that his mouth goes from like his right, whole right. body oh my gosh wonderful but when they start talking to him I was like oh these guys aren't messing around, are they? This isn't going to be like some cartoony, let's take over the world. No, they're like evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is funny. My daughter leaned over and she was like, that's chaos. And I was like, it is chaos. <laughs> like, clearly chaos. Um, but, and with them, especially when, when Dr. Savannah goes to his dad's company, when he walks into the boardroom and he unleashes the seven deadly sins and they... They toss a dude out the window. That, they, right, okay, stop, stop right there. The dude out the window was like, I can't believe they just did that and showed it like that. Oh, at yeah. That, at that point, Zach is getting terrified and he has now crawled into Sean's lap. Mm-hmm. But then when they release the rest of them and you see the people clawing on the walls... That one, you know what? That didn't bother me nearly as much as him biting the dude's head off. It's not like a, yes. uh, my mouth opens over the head, we zoom away and you hear somebody scream. He bites the guy's head off. And it was funny. And it was worse than Venom. 
Because at least with Venom, yes. like you saw it, you saw what he was going to do, but you didn't actually see it happen. And, and oddly enough, the fact that Venom kind of jokes about it, mm-hmm. it made it less horrific than this monster who was like, this is what people do. That, that was the only time that my daughter was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like Even she was like, ugh. It, it came so out of left field. Oh, and then when he sends greed after his dad, I was like, surely they're just going to like show greed like they're or they're just gonna close the door, you know, and we'll hear screaming. No. Nope. It was at that moment Zach turned to me and said, I don't want to see this movie ever again. I was like, baby, I, I am I am so sorry because I had no idea it was going to be that graphic otherwise i wouldn't have taken zach i mean gabe was fine he's you know susan was fine they're old enough but it's not a five-year-old fine movie no no <laughs> like, well i did want to ask the directors i'm like um have you guys ever seen alfred hitchcock movies you know the brilliance of him was letting your imagination take over mm-hmm. and not actually showing it well you know what it kind of reminded me of? Because you had said that. And then after I saw the movie, I was like, oh, I understand now. We took my daughter to see Avengers. Yeah, the first Avengers movie when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And she was younger. That scene where the Hulk goes tearing through the ship and he's chasing Black Widow. And she's starting to get scared and panicking. Oh, terrified my daughter. And at the time we were like, well, this came out of nowhere. Like, I mean, because they they framed it very much like a horror movie with the monster chasing you, which was effective because Mm -hmm. they wanted to show just how bad the Hulk could be when he loses control. But, oh my gosh. And even that, even that was nowhere nowhere near this. Oh no, that was, yeah, I didn't take Gabe to see that in the theater. He he had to wait until it came out and we, we watched it at home. But that was really before I was taking him to a lot of movies in the theater. Um... But oh yeah, because this would have been 2012. So I think my daughter would have been five. He would have been. Yeah, he was four. Yeah, he. Yeah, yeah. she would have been five when that came out. So same thing. Yeah, but this was. This was like again, (laughs) such a total shift. Yeah, it, and then it immediately goes back to, Shazam, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out his powers. Yeah, (laughs) lightning from my hands. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was. And you know what, though? Like, on one hand, I was like, that was a shift. But it it worked, I think, because I think the thing that it established really well is that, you know, when Shazam tells Dr. Savannah that you are not pure of heart, (laughs) yeah, he was not. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I really liked about this about uh shazam we've talked about this before like actually we talked about this specifically we talked about spider-man homecoming was that i liked that the stakes were small and on one hand he has the seven deadly sins and they've already established that they did try to wipe out the world before and that's obviously global corruption is their end goal but at this point it's just a dude who's really angry at his dad and wants the shazam powers it's, right. It was kept very small. So they had these creatures that they established as being horribly, awfully evil and scary. 
but they still managed to keep that scope very small so that it wasn't Shazam having to save the world yet again, right? Right, right. So that it made sense. So that it wasn't something where you're going, where's Batman and Wonder Woman in this? Like, it made sense. It's just, it's just this guy who's got some problems. Right. And, and, he, and he wasn't fully comprehending or he was ignoring what you know the seven deadly sins were there but as you know shazam told him like they're using you mm-hmm. like he's like what was this like they're using you and not for nice things like do you hear this guy <laughs> yeah actually along those lines I-, I love at the end when he taunts envy out yeah that was really good too and he's just like where's tiny small insignificant envy envy pops right out <laughs> like that's right well and it made sense right that as he's trying to get shazam that it would be envy inside of him trying to get shazam's powers right well i mean because he it was the, so well done well i mean just like the fact that you know he said that his father embodied greed he embodied envy 100 percent. yep and that that it, again it was from a like a tonal suggestion it was very it was very very well done mm-hmm. i love i and i think you you and i both we've talked about this before you and i both have a big soft spot for greek mythology so i always kind of liked shazam conceptually and i did like you know when they were like the speed of mercury mm-hmm. and the strength of hercules this is amazing apparently he missed the wisdom of solomon even though they specifically say that they give it to him. You know, um, they make fun of that in the comics, too. Yeah. When he makes stupid decisions and they're like, whatever happened to that wisdom of Solomon? He's like, shut up. Because he's still, you know, a 15-year-old kid. Yeah. He is. And I think they did a really good Actually, all the actors at the end there, when everybody gets the Shazam powers. That was amazing. They all did such a good job. The woman. the girl. Who did the little girl? Darla. Oh my God. Give her all the Oscars. That was fantastic. Such a good job of feeling childlike still. And not least of all when Eugene did the Harukin. Sean and I lost it at that point. Oh, we did too. Jim and I both were like, oh my God. Wonderful. Totally <laughs> worth it. Well, you know, you gotta love, you know, the... So you had that one boy who was constantly working out because he was wanting to lose weight or whatever. And then right. you have Eugene, who's just this tiny kid and all he does is games, doesn't do anything. Well, now they both are tall, thin, and have muscles and they're, they're like poking at him. <laughs> Look at their <laughs> biceps. Actually, by the way, too, I have to say that A, I really, speaking of Darla, um, I really liked that the siblings were able to put together. They were like, remember how they were fighting like an old married couple? But I love when they put it together and Darla's like, you figured it out. I was a good sister. Yes. (laughs) When she figured out that he was Shazam, she was like, he was like, you know, good sisters wouldn't tell anyone this. And she was like, oh, okay. And yeah, that's her first thing. I was a good sister. I loved Darla. And I also liked at the beginning when uh, she was like, I talk because silence makes me uncomfortable. And Eugene's like, she's never uncomfortable. (laughs) It was just the kids. They did such a good job with the kids of making them. Yeah. Just making them have this nice 
nice chemistry between them. Everybody I thought came together really well. I loved the two foster parents. They were great. They actually, just for appearance alone, they nailed from the comics what they really yes not only that but then just you know but they did such a good job you know acting (laughs) and you know and of course like in the comics because i've you know come into the the reboot with with rebirth so they haven't really gone into their background very much so i don't know if they are actually you know former foster kids (laughs) even if they're not i love that they brought that into the movie i'm like how cool is that former foster kids have now become foster parents because they know right. how horrible it is. They do. And I did like that when she, when the mom was kind of freaking out and she was like, he's run away. And the dad was like, well, I ran away from a few places too. We just mm-hmm. got to make him feel like he's at home here. Right. And I like they were nice and supportive without feeling overly fake. Like, oh, we immediately love you. They were clearly trying to respect some boundaries there. And about that, which I think was because they were foster kids as well. So they understand how hard this is. And obviously, this ain't their first rodeo. Right. Right, which I just, I don't know, the whole, that whole aspect of it, it felt, it felt really good. I liked, I really liked that. Um, I thought they did a great job with that. I thought... Was another, I think there was another thing that I wanted to talk about specifically that I really liked. How did you like it when he had them all grab the staff and yelled, say my name? Oh my God, that cracks me up. Because I knew, I kind of knew it was going to happen too. It's like, oh God, they're all going to say Billy. And they're all like, Billy! Like, no! And, all, and then they all eagerly look at him like, we did it right, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that was great. And I liked, I liked that because I had a feeling, because first off, Jaiman Hansu talks, you listen. Which they had me at Jaiman Hansu. Um, he's one of my favorite character actors when he shows up. And uh, which also in the Guardian series. So now the dude is in DC and Marvel. He's crossed the streams. Oh gosh. Well, when we after we finished watching, I did say to my daughter, I was like, you remember in Guardians of the Galaxy? When he's like, I'm Star Lord, and the guy's like, Who? As soon as I said that, she was like, oh, he was the wizard. I know. <laughs> Which cracked me up. But when he, I mean, he said specifically, he was like, my brothers and sisters are gone. Mm-hmm. So when they hearkened back to that. Oh, that's nice. I did like that. So now they're all wizards. Oh, I remember this scene I was going to say. They had so many just little touches that it established a much larger world. And we're just fun like little sight gags like when they're going when they're in the tunnel and they're opening all the doors and there's the alligators and three-piece suits playing cards i don't know why but for some reason i was like that is just delightful (laughs) it serves no narrative function i couldn't stop laughing oh yeah it was hilarious like she was like like, it's not that funny i was like yeah it is I'm so glad to do that because, oh man, I laughed so hard. Well, yeah, my one of my nicknames in, in this house, at least, is Raptor because I like dinosaurs and alligators. And um, yeah, I loved it. I thought that was absolutely hysterical. And when it happened, <laughs> my husband actually leaned over and he was like, cousins? <laughs> no, dear. Uh, I... It was just one of those little sight gags, and there were a lot of little things like that, where there yeah. would just be this little reference that you're like, 
that has no bearing on the story, and yet it's delightful, and I'm so glad they included it. it there was just a lot of little things like that that, I don't know, from start to finish. Which, you know, which we talked about many times, the DC Universe, or the DCEU, seriously needed. They needed... Oh, my God, Something yes. lighthearted. I mean... Joss yes. Whedon did what he could in Justice League, but they needed something like this. Well, and so I think we talked about this when we talked about Aquaman. Aquaman was a good first step. They had yes. a lot of jokes in there, but some of the jokes felt really forced. And some of it felt like they really were like, this works for Marvel, so let's try it here. And there were times where I'm like, you guys should probably be serious right now. Or that joke just fell flat. I had the same complaint about Captain Marvel. This one felt from start to finish, all of the humor felt very natural and it went through very well. There weren't any jokes or anything where I was like, mm -hmm, apparently we needed a joke here. Which I think is all to do with the fact that you're talking about kids being in adult right. bodies. And still the acting like kids. Yes. The big reference. When they find the piano and he and Dr. Savannah are on it. Yes. Yes. Delightful. Well, there's that, and um, they found a Zatar. Yes. Is that the carnival? Yep. Yeah. It, I thought that was nice. Again, has nothing to do with the story, but it fits so nicely, and it was kind of... It's a nice nod like to me to older yes. people who may not mm -hmm. know anything about Shazam and are like, what is this, a big ripoff? And they're like, well, actually... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's never mind the fact that actually, you know, Captain Marvel came first yes but before big but still it's like we know what you guys were saying and we're just gonna own it <laughs> right well and it was yeah it was just a nice just a nice little moment and again it worked mm -hmm. it worked it felt natural there's subtle um, it did and you know what was funny about it is that they had that scene like right after mark strong was like or uh, dr savannah was like you run you you beg like a child that's what he said and he was like i am a child mm -hmm. and then like two seconds later they had him walk across the piano and i was like that's so lovely um but it was i liked that realization when dr savannah realized that he was just a kid like and it wasn't like an evil thing or a regret thing he was he seemed more bewildered mm -hmm. right like why you and he even says that to him like why you which I don't know why he'd be so bewildered, considering that he was taken as a kid. Right. And everybody he interviewed right. was kids. Were, were kids. I don't know if he knew, though, that the magic powers would make you an adult. Mm. You know? I also did like, uh, the last thing I'll say that I really liked was, I also liked how he was able to use... He was constantly popping in and out of Shazam to get in and out of trouble. Right. Like, there were times when he would, you know, drop down really low, and then he would jump out again. And I was like, that's pretty clever, actually. I also like the scene where they went and got beer. Oh, my God. And they spit it out, and they're like, that tastes like actual vomit. <laughs> well, just that's like, hilarious. And then they go back and get all the junk food. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, they go up to them, like, we are here to get your finest beer, ma'am. It's just, you know, this teenager just staring at them yeah she's they're, like over there and they're just like they're overacting because that's what you would do if you have a fake id you would overact right and god 
So well done. Oh, so well done. No, I was wholly, wholly surprised by this movie. And despite liking the trailers, I still kind of went in skeptically because DC. But I hope... Now, granted, not all of the movies have to be like this. I don't think it would necessarily be appropriate to have this kind of a lighthearted, silly Wonder Woman movie. Or Batman. (laughs) Right. But... I think it does show that they don't have to be so grim dark. Well, and going grim dark with Shazam would not have worked. Oh no no no! I mean, no, they no, already no. kind of pushed it as it was. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to have Shazam anything besides lighthearted and just you know delightful right. would not have worked at all. At the same right. time. You can't really have a lighthearted Batman. If we wanted that, we'd just watch the 1966 show again. Right. Or Batman and Robin. <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, again, it just, I liked, not only did I like that they recognized that, that they were like, oh, you know, we should probably, you know, probably not make this super dark. Um it just, I think it showed that it's okay to have a sense of humor with this and have fun with it. And I think that was the big thing that I walked away from that. Just mm-hmm. thinking that, you know what? They had a lot of fun with this. This was not, yeah. you know. But, um, but I'm really curious though, is why did they pick Shazam out of right all of the Justice League characters? Why Shazam? I mean, and I'm not complaining. I love Shazam. But it just seems mm-hmm. such a... It's kind of out of Out there. Yeah. Like, because why not Hot Girl? Or a Green Lantern reboot? You know, it's just so right. weird to see. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was like, you know, a James Gunn thing that he really pushed for maybe. Guardians of the Galaxy. And maybe this one guy was just like, I love Shazam and this would fit in here because of this, mm-hmm. this. Right. That could be right um i don't know i don't know what made them think of it it does it did feel very random so we went and saw it at the alamo mm-hmm. and if you've ever been to an alamo draft house before before the movie they give you like all these old clips from random stuff and in this one they were giving you the history of shazam they, we saw a little bit of it with captain marvel mm-hmm. because there's a history of there for why there's a captain marvel in dc who became shazam and then captain anyways um, they were giving a little bit of the history of it, and I totally forgot about the live-action series from the late seventies. There was, it was okay. I didn't know there was one. Oh yeah, it was for kids. It was a live-action series, and I mean, it was kind of fun. It was, it was, an, it was, it was the seventies. <laughs> it was a fun series, though. I mean, they definitely had a good idea with it, and um. But I forgot about that. And I think that was the last time that Shazam was treated to a live action series. So part of me wants to think that somebody, some powers that maybe looked at the current state of DC and was like, guys, we got to lighten this up. Right? Like we got it. Because one thing that we've talked a lot about is how Marvel, we've talked a lot about how much more fun the Marvel mm-hmm. movies, right? So I would like to think that maybe this is them trying to catch up and keep up with the Joneses, and they finally found a way to do it 
in a way that made sense. Right. A more natural flow. Yes. Then suddenly making Superman funny. Right. Exactly. Or as to your point, a funny Batman movie. <laughs> right. Which would not work at all, really. But that wouldn't stop them from trying it necessarily, I don't think. I, I was going to say, I hope not, but you, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, who knows? We'll be back in the dark Joel Schumacher era. But, <laughs> oh, I forgot the other, my, the thing that I was going to say earlier, my favorite thing was at the end, speaking of humor, the end, when they're still trying to picture out what his powers are, and he's talking to the fish. And he's like, no, I can't talk to a fish. What kind of superpower would that be? Yes. Again, I like that they could point poke fun at themselves. I like that this felt like it was a, bro a bold new step. So, more like that, please, DC. Well, like in Justice League as well, you know, when Bruce first meets Arthur, he's like, mm -hmm. so I hear you can talk to fish. And Arthur's just like, oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well... He he turns it around, he's like, and I hear you dress up like a bat, you know, just kind of goes back and forth with, with that. And even like in the New 52, I actually subscribed to Aquaman when the New 52 came out because I heard that they're doing like a really different take on Aquaman, like moving away from the Super Friends version mm -hmm. of Aquaman, which is always the one that's stuck in my head. I think most people's head. Right. And it's mm -hmm. when the first issue had Aquaman saving something all right he was saving a bunch of stuff and the police that were there were just like my god this is embarrassing like we had to be helped by aquaman and uh you know an aquaman he goes to a restaurant and orders like some fish and people come up to him they're like can can't you talk to that and now you're going to eat it and he just puts his head in his hands like oh my gosh i have to explain this <laughs> right well that's a good point you know that, that would be another that extra reminds me that would be another series. So Aquaman, they had a lot of fun with that. If they ever do a Flash movie, there's another one you can have fun with because the Flash does not need to be grimdark. And but in Justice League, they kept him lighthearted. They did, and they used him like the old the Justice League Unlimited or the Justice League animated show from yeah, the yeah, mid aughts, yeah. mm -hmm. where he was the comedic relief, but he still was useful. He wasn't just you know totally lame. Right. I think, so the way that I like to look at it is that Justice League, as much as I hated that movie, it was like a tentative, it was like putting your toe in the water. And then like Aquaman was kind of, I don't know, wading into your knees. Shazam felt like jumping into the deep end. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that they were just like, we're going for it. While still having really weirdly dark moments. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like they'd be like, well, we have to have this graphic violence in here because we're DC. We do grimdark. You know what? Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody didn't show up and they were like, where's the violence? Because it was that. Well, we always joke about. So if you watch Game of Thrones or really anything on if you watch Boardwalk Empire, anything on HBO, there's the running gag on the Internet about this HBO CEO of tits shows up to make sure that you have enough tits per episode of any show. It's like, we were watching the first episode of season eight, just randomly three naked girls. And we were like, ah, the CEO of tits is back. I feel like DC has their CEO of violence. 
And he shows up and is like, is there at least five minutes of violence in this? Because we need at least 10. 20. I don't know. Go nuts. So, it, cause, I mean, that's kind of how it felt a little bit at times, but it worked. So. I mean, Aquaman was kind of the same way. You know. It kind of was. Every now and then there would just be like, violence! And you were like, whoa! I'm like, like, like when Orem uh, killed the king of the the fish people or whatever. I was like, well, that was out of left field. Right. To not see that coming at all. And then they just shot all the palace guards and were like, oh, long live the heir. So, princess, what are you going to do? I'm like, my God, now you're threatening a 12-year-old child. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is not how any of this works. But okay. You do you. Yeah. That was, uh, that was a little strange. <laughs> but no, I thought... I would watch another one if, if DC, if this is, I hope they would learn the right lessons from this movie, I guess is where I'm going with that. I'm hoping they bring him into the next Justice League because the after credits scene seemed to kind of suggest that. Yes. When they're, in the, wait, the one when they're in the lunchroom? Yes. I brought a friend with me, which I guess they couldn't. I don't know if they've recast uh, Superman yet, or if they just couldn't afford Superman, because you see him from the neck down. Uh, Which actually kind of a little delightful. Yes, uh, you know, it could have gone either way. Um, I know that Henry Cavill is a little busy uh, doing The Witcher, which uh, I don't know if you've seen him in costume. Have you? I have. I like it. I think he fits it very, very well. I actually, I don't, because Geralt always had this, a much more wizened, like, grizzled, kind of world-weary look to him, where Henry Cavill, you can put a gray wig on him, but he's still just a ridiculously good-looking man. He looks, he looks like the boy band version of Geralt to me. But... I think I also don't like Henry Cavill, so I might be biased against that. Well, I like, I mean, I like Henry Cavill as an actor. It's fair. Right. And I've heard, uh, you know, because I was like, well, you know what a dick he is in real life? I'm like, man, if I did that with all actors, I would never go to movies. That's also true. Um, But, I mean, and I keep hearing different things that, oh, yes, he's definitely out at DC, but then Warner Brothers comes back and is like, no, that's not the case at all. Like, there's a rumor going on that Ben Affleck has quit Batman. And then Warner Brothers is like, no, that's not what's happened. Like, we're still all doing this. Um, It's like, I just don't know, like, (laughs) what's what's truth anymore? Because, I mean, Henry Cavill... Um, it'd be nice if he stayed on as Superman because it would be nice to have a Superman actually have like, you know, a good story, (laughs) like an actor, uh, you know, kind of break the Superman curse. Right. And maybe the Witcher will do that for him. I don't know, but it might, um, but but actually really randomly, I have to say, so not long ago, we showed my daughter the 2002 version of the Count of Monte Cristo because it was really well done, right? And we were like, oh, this... And she she loved it because it's... I mean, how could you not love a movie about a prison break and revenge? Um, but we're watching it and very randomly, Guy Pierce's uh, son, Albert, Albert Mondego, shows up. It's Henry Cavill. 
he's like I think at that point he's like 19 but mm. he looks like he's like 15 and we were just like oh my god it's Superman and he looks like a baby <laughs> he does he, I mean he just he does I think it's because the way they have him dressed that it could that be period, that period was not flattering for men actually it wasn't really flattering for women either anyways but it totally we were like oh my gosh well, it doesn't Superman. help that, I mean, he has the Superman chin. Like, I wouldn't be surprised that that's why he was hired, just with that dimpled chin. Right. And the cheekbones. The only thing he's missing yeah, is the natural jerry curl down the middle. Um, mm -hmm. But, I mean, I like him as Superman. I don't like Lois Lane. And I don't know exactly if that's because of Amy Adams or because of how they've written her character. Or maybe a combination of both. Actually, I love Amy Adams. She's the first Lois Lane that I like. Well, that's I, not saying a lot. That's true. Um, I We nearly walked out of the theater of the one, or not literally, but I, of, oh, shoot. What was the one with Brandon Ruth? Oh, Superman, Superman, Superman Returns. When they had, like, a 22-year-old girl who's like, I've been a star journalist for five years, and I have a six-year-old kid. I was like, oh, then you were a high school journalist when you met Superman, because you were 22. Awful. And she was just not a good actress, either, and terrible. And I never liked... Margot. Margot Kidder. Mm -hmm. Never liked her, either. But... But then again, yeah. I don't know if it was because of her or because how they wrote her. And it was... Right. And I, mainly because Lois Lane drove me crazy in those old Superman movies. Especially when she's like, hide, you know, uh, stowing away in the elevator of the Eiffel Tower. I was like, you selfish bitch. Like, it's one, another one of those things of, did you really think this through? Like, what did you think was going to happen when you climbed underneath the Eiffel Tower elevator? Like, what was the big plan right. there? You know, we got into this argument years ago. I don't know if you remember this. DC had announced they were going to do a kid's story, a series of young adult girl-focused books. In I do DC remember universe. this. And the first one was Lois Lane. And I was like, of all the characters, why Lois Lane? There are so many better female characters in the DC universe. And I got, like, the string of hatred on Twitter and on the article itself that people were like, excuse you, Lois Lane is a badass. And I was like, not really at all, no. At this point, I think it was just, you know, trying too hard to defend this character. I've never liked Lois Lane as a character, ever. In the She's the very typical, I have a chip on my shoulder female and I'm going to show I'm going to prove to everybody um, how I'm a better journalist than every other man out there and also I'm also going to be the stereotypical journalist of anything for a story right they do that a lot with her um I don't think they've ever really known how to write her very well and like in the early so in the early 90s I was reading Superman a lot like especially I have all the graphic novels from the death of Superman arc which they're like this thick when combined um her, she's awful in those awful just absolutely awful and she is always this she always does have this kind of callous side about her and that i've never liked and i don't even know how we got onto this little rant but i 
start and we were ranting now about Lois Lane. I'm just, I've never really been a fan of her. And that's what, I like Amy Adams as an actress. When they cast her as Lois Lane, I was like, oh, oh, honey. No. Like, I know you were really thrilled to be put into a DC movie, but hard pass. Well, I mean, it didn't help that, I know you did see Man of Steel, right? Unfortunately, yes. Um, There's a lot of scenes she was in where I was like, why? Yes. Why is she here? Which I, I can't, I can't blame that on Amy Adams. No. That was definitely oh, no, it was the writing. It was, it was, it was definitely the writing. Um, Batman versus Superman and Justice League. There were so many scenes with her where I was like, why though? I did like she was the big guns. Yeah. I, at that point, again, I hated that movie so much. At that point, I was like, why? It was, yeah. to me, it was funny because when he says, we're going to bring in the big guns and Alfred's like, well, those are some very big guns, sir. And, you know, when Superman's kicking his ass, he's like, we need the big guns. He's <laughs> all so, you know, panicking, which I thought was funny. And then it's Lois. I'm like, oh, I guess that would be big guns. Yeah, that works. Yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not, not a huge fan of it. I have to say. But, so... Bridging over, because this is a good segue for us, bridging over into what we've been reading, you have Nightwing at the top. Well, yeah, so... Jen you're a huge fan of right now. Jen decided earlier that she wanted the theme of tonight to be disappointment. And I was like, no, we're going to talk Shazam. So we're going to start, you know, nice. Because that was not a disappointment. No, not that at was, all. That was a pleasant surprise. And it was delightful. It was surprise and delight. At the same time, though, I kept thinking, I was like, well, Jen, like, isn't most of our podcasts themed disappointment? Because <laughs> we're always getting upset with... Not D like tonight. Okay, this is true. And Jen's gonna, she's got a lovely treat for you guys, which we're gonna save to the end so we can give her the, we can give her the conch. And she will totally have it. But, yes, yeah, so I do have some disappointment, and one of them is Nightwing. And it's not that anything in particular happened in this issue to make me be disappointed. I'm just disappointed that we're still doing this. And that it's still this team of Nightwings. And Rick Grayson is part of this team. And... Like, he's allowing them to train him. I'm doing train in air quotes. Because, you know, they don't know anything about him. They're all cops and fire department. And some of them have sordid pasts that I guess we're going to get into soon. <gasps> I know. Shocked. Yeah, right. Shocked that that would be a plot element. And so he is, uh, in his mind, when he's going through this air quote training, because he's trying to be like, yes, I know what I'm doing. But at the same time, I can't show everything. Got to give, throw them a bone. You know, with stuff. But the whole time, because they're asking him, like, where did you learn those moves? He's like, I just kind of picked up things here or there. And they're like, well, who trained you? He's like, ah, nobody. But in his mind, he was, he's like, well, the best of the best. It's like, okay, so now your mind's going that way. But you're still not willing to talk to any of them. Right. Even though Alfred has come and visited you now twice. How can you say no to Alfred? Alfred's tried to give him money. Like, this is for your... It's, no, it's from Dick's own trust fund. Right, right. Like, 
No, no, it's rude to be rude to uh, Alfred. How can you be rude to he's Alfred? He's basically like, Master Dick, please stop living in a cab. <laughs> right. You know, type thing. He's like, I don't think you understand which this hurts Master Bruce. And he's like, I don't even know who Bruce is. You know, okay, whatever. Um, although I've noticed if it hurts Bruce so much, he hasn't come by to see him. But it wouldn't be Bruce if he wasn't going to be like, I'm going right. to hurt. I'm going to hurt in a corner and quiet. That's right. And then take it out on everybody else. And then ignore whatever shit my son is doing. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so, and he seems like perfectly happy. He's still driving a cab and smearing, like, I guess, grease or something on his face in the shape of a mask. Because he doesn't have a Nightwing costume because they kind of took them all. Right. And uh, continuing to pose as this and be part of the Nightwings. I just thought this would have been over by now. That right. something well, would have... I, I assumed it would have been like a three-issue arc from the way you were initially describing it. Man, uh, I don't remember... See, I, we're at 59. I'm pretty sure this isn't going on for at least 10 issues. Right, but like when you were first telling me, when you were like, oh, they're doing this weird thing, I was like, oh, so you're going to waste time on three issues with some stupid arc just to come back to where they were. And yet, it kept going. It's like, and I don't know if they can come back to, to where they were just because of the relationships that he's formed. Well, that's stupid. I mean, he could totally still, you know, if right. they don't have to, to be like that. Um, but I'm almost wondering if they're also just kind of writing it out until, uh, you know, the end of, uh, whenever we, we uh, the, 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 because everything else is ending because everything else is ending. I assume Nightwing was right. going to end too. And maybe that, and maybe that's what's going to happen. They're going to write it out until Nightwing. And sorry, I'm looking up right now when this started. Let's see. Ah, it was issue 50. So I was right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nine issues. So there you go. Wow, and the cover right. and the cover of that issue has a it's a side profile of Nightwing with a shaved head and the scar on his head from the shot is like shaped in a bird ring. Uh -huh. And the whole thing on the cover it says now all you know about him changes. Dun dun dun. And because you know it says Nightwing across the top. Right above mm -hmm. that it says once he was. Part of me wonders, just in the way you're describing it, is it possible that, because we've been, how long have we been hypothesizing that they're going to reset the world? Part of me wonders <clears> if <throat> they're just like writing that out to see what happens. Well, like, well, right. Like, they're, I think they're just writing this out until it ends or until the <laughs> reboot when they're just going to wash everything anyway. <clears throat> right. Actually, you know, listening to you describe this, I wonder if this actually may be makes me more convinced that they are going to do a reboot. Because I just... Like a C-list character. Because I can't imagine him staying like this. Right. Because he's Nobody been... Wants to break. But he's been such a core 
character. You know, maybe I need to put a call out on Twitter or something about who is enjoying this version of Nightwing. I am honestly very curious. And please tell me why. Uh, right. So if any of you guys listening are enjoying Nightwing right now, please drop me a line on Twitter at Crunchy Chocobo or leave a comment on this podcast. Let me know exactly why. I'm I'm being honest here. Like, I'm not here to say that you're wrong or tear you down. I'm just genuinely curious if people like it. Right. Because if, you know, if a lot of, if more people are than not, then they're most likely going to keep this going. Because on the one hand, it's not the usual thing with Nightwing. You know? Right. Because Nightwing, unfortunately, in his series, gets to a stale point. And I think that's mostly because they've centered it around him, him with the circus. That was like the New right. 52 did, the series before that did. Mm-hmm. No one cares about the stupid circus. I mean, we do, but we don't at the same time. Right. Um, and I kind of liked what he was doing in, in Bloodhaven. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that couldn't continue. I blame this on Tom King right. because it was his series where Nightwing was shot. So now it's like everyone else over here was like, oh, crap, now we got to deal with this. And so then they wrote it like this. Maybe it was going to be three issues, but then people really liked it. So they're just going to keep going with it. And so, like I said, on one hand, this is a totally different version of Nightwing, and that's fine. But at the same time, this is, it's hard to do this with such an iconic character. It was like what happened with Captain America. Mm -hmm. You know, he was old for so long. People liked that. It was different. But then he was young again. But then he was evil. Nobody liked that. Nobody liked that. And now he's back to how he was. Young, the usual clean cut, all American guy. Right. It's the same with everybody. Like maybe they go through these changes, you know, like uh, the first Civil War when Tony Stark became an absolute dick. (laughs) For no reason. Right. And ruined like all these lives. Right. And now he's back to how he was. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And I feel like this, I, I just, I feel like the way you're describing it kind of makes me think more and more. They're just, they are leading up towards either some cataclysmic event or a full reboot. And then they'll figure out what they're doing. Because Nightwing, as we've already said, this is not a C-list character. This is not, this is not one of those people who, if you're like, oh, I'm reading Nightwing, people go, Who? Right? Like, right. when I say that I like Swamp Thing, sometimes people are like, who's he again? Or I get that, oh, is he the one? Yeah, okay. Right? But if you say Nightwing, oh, yeah, okay. Actually, most people don't have any idea who I'm talking about when I talk about Nightwing. I'm like, but then I'll say he was the first Robin. I'm like, oh, Okay. So, and you can't just gloss over the first Robin. I mean, they right. they could with the second, but then I guess they decided, let's bring him back and then make him like the anti-hero. Bitches like anti-heroes, right? That's right. Exactly. Got that bitch an anti-hero. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to take this already unstable kid. And um, we're going to put his remains into the Lazarus pit, which already has, you know, fun consequences. And let's see what happens next. 
Yeah, seriously. Well, yeah, it it just it kind of I don't know. That whole thing confuses me, and I'm, I'm sorry that you're suffering through it right now. And then well, apparently it's a real thing. And it's it's just like like I said today in the chat, I was like, well, I guess this is how it is now. Like there's right. like this is just a new world. Like I thought things were going to change because they really made this all part of a scarecrow arc. And it was all going to lead back to right. Scarecrow. I was like, oh, this is, you know, going to get flipped around. And then, what's the point of the Scarecrow arc? Nothing happened. The only thing that really happened was that he decided to help the Nightwings and then ended up becoming a Nightwing as part of it. But that was not what I was expecting. Maybe that's why I was like, what was the point of this? But the whole time he's actually looking for Dick Grayson is his point of being there. And he never finds him because... Obviously, he doesn't recognize Rick because he's not really looking for Dick Grayson. He's looking for Nightwing. Well, when he sees the Nightwings, he's like, you're not Nightwing. And he's not going to recognize uh, Dick Grayson as one of the Nightwings because he's not in his costume and and all that. So nothing like really happened of all that. So I'm just kind of in the spot of, I guess, this is where we are now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean... Green Arrow ended, what, like, two weeks ago? Yeah. Or two, three weeks ago? And then uh, Titans ended uh, last week. Just very unceremoniously. Like, that was seriously a... Well, we brought them back from where they were, and we got Raven's soul self back, and, well, they're all talking about how they can't do this without Nightwing, so let's just not even try. And this is over. Whoa. That's how they ended Titans? Yeah. Like, they got him out of the world where they were, got Raven's soul self back, so now she's back to full power. They got Beast Boy back under control, and they're all kind of like, well, we, we just can't do this without Nightwing, so. Wow. And the weird thing is, it's like, it didn't. That is disappointing. <laughs> well, it's like, so it's a conversation that Raven has with herself as she's remembering when Nightwing first recruited her and the whole time when she's remembering this she's like yeah we can't do this without Nightwing they come back from where they were they're like oh we survived it's good it's alright and then it says end I was like like end of the arc nope end of the series that was totally Dan Abnett just going I guess I'm done boom wow yeah that's probably one of the most unceremonious endings I've I've ever read. Holy cow. Okay, yeah, that's pretty that's that's pretty disappointing. <laughs> so, you know, with between Green Arrow and then Titans, I was like, well, Nightwing's gonna be next, right? Because I mean we can't keep doing this. Well apparently we can. So So I guess assuming best intent, I mean, there has to be somebody out there that's liking this. Maybe. That's Titans thing though that kind of blows my mind. It blew mine too. The guy to go look it up. I'm like, that just just seems You're like that can't weird. be how this happens. Like, uh-huh. like there's not even a family meeting, <laughs> right? Um, they don't even discuss this with Fridge Guy. I can't remember his name now. Kyle, right? Uh, you know who just 
kind of was part of this and like a big part of it and you know mm -hmm. steals there i mean donna troy's still there we just not going to talk about it. it's like okay so we're all back and raven and beast boy are fixed and cool yeah <laughs> good night everybody yeah wow wow yeah i got <sighs> so not along those lines because it wasn't that bad but i had this a similar jarring experience today with gideon falls which you know that i love mm -hmm. and it's just it, i understand from a narrative perspective i understand why people do this but it was it was a little flustering to me nonetheless they so last issue ended with if you recall the priest and norton finally meet up and they discover that Norton isn't actually Norton. That's not his name. Mm -hmm. He's actually a little boy who went missing several years ago. And Norton Sinclair was actually this original serial killer from Gideon Falls' history. Where, and he found a way to basically unleash a demon. It's full-on warp stuff going on here. And so, they have this demon who has this portal. And he has this portal that goes to basically everywhere. Okay, the issue ends with Norton being sent back home to where he was abducted from and the priest being sent back to where Norton, or Norton, the kid, and the priest being sent back to where that guy came from. And they both wake up and they're like, where am I? Who am I? So they clearly have been a little messed with, right? And they've switched places, basically. Okay, where is this going next? 1886. Like, this is literally meanwhile, back at the corral. 1886 Gideon Falls they talk about how they found out that this guy named Norton Sinclair is a murderer and they go down to hunt him down and there's a priest which I'm sure this is going to be symbolic later there's a priest he they go into the black barn to get this guy Norton and the priest falls into the barn but really he falls down into a town and so he walks through the town and the town is like, and then he goes into a bar and the bar, he asks the barkeep what's going on. And he's like, there's a murderer on the loose and all of our police, you know, the police and the sheriff have gone, police, the sheriff and his men have gone to find him. And the priest is like, oh, okay. Um, what's the name of this town? And he's like, oh, it's Gideon Falls. But it's like 1840. So he's like, okay. So then he runs to chase with the sheriff to go and find Norton and he walks into the barn and he falls into the barn and he lands in Gideon Falls, but it's like 1910. And it's the same thing. They're trying to hunt the serial killer named Norton Sinclair. So it ends with him kind of drawing a map to be like, okay, this is all Gideon Falls and this is connected. Mm -hmm. This is clearly going to be very important. I got that. But I was reading it and I was like, dude, like, you ended on such a cliffhanger. This is where you go with this? I'm, I'm willing to give it a chance because, you know, in Lemire we trust. But I was taken aback. Yeah. And we're going to talk about my big disappointment here in a little bit. Uh, but I read this after I read that because I was like, oh, Gideon Falls will make me feel better. 
silly me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to have a similar reaction whenever uh, Doomsday Clock ends. It's Probably. It's going to be one of those, like, you've wasted a year and a half now for this. Right, exactly. So, it I, again, I'm sure this is going to be important, but it's like... Uh, cut back to the main story. I want to know what happens now that they're... Uh. Anyways, I'm sure this is going to be important. I, I've got faith. I'm going to trust them. i got to have some faith here. <laughs> it's a little frustrating. Um, I'm going to be fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Not so fine, apparently, as Uncanny X-Men. You know... Again, it's one of those, like, I guess this is where we are now. <laughs> I just saw your all caps. What is going on? Well, you know, I, like, I mean, like, I honestly thought Scott was getting everybody together so they could go find the other X-Men wherever they went, wherever Nate Gray did with them. And maybe they will. Although I have to wonder why they brought Banshee back, because he does not look good. Like, zombie? He looks like Mick Jagger on a bad day. Oh. Or, no, not Mick Jagger. Oh. Keith Richards. <laughs> oh. So kind of like a lich. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's like all stooped over and like, yeah, just. I'm like, wow, I didn't know people were still. Of old age. I didn't know people still wanted Banshee around. So, I mean, it's kind of hard, you know, with Moira dead I... and Professor X well, no, he's not dead, but he's not letting anybody know he's still around either. And yeah, so I don't, I don't know what Scott's doing, huh? Were there legions of fans clamoring for Banshee? Maybe. I mean, Banshee's always been one of those characters. Like when I got into the X Men, would just show up every now and then. That's and then, true. And then disappear. He's kind of the Adam mutant. <laughs> and uh. So, I don't know what they're trying to do, uh, but near halfway through it, uh, Scott decides, you know what, uh, I'm not a good leader, because look at what I've done to the X-Men so far, so I shouldn't be leader anymore. And Wolverine's like, well, I don't want to be leader. And one, two, three, not it. <laughs> that's pretty much what they all did. Like Jamie Madrox oh. was like, give me Matt. Jamie Madrox went, not it. <laughs> and so what they decided was like, no, since there's actually not that many of us, let's make this, you know, a collective autonomy. <laughs> and we're all going to vote on everything. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, why not? I mean, and, shit. I mean, M Magic actually puts out the first thing, which I really love that this is what she put out. And she's like, well, I'm going to bring this to a vote. That if we're going to be together, we're forgiving all of us for the past. Smart. I'm like, you guys all do need to do that. That is true. But it's funny. It's coming from you, Magic. Well, right. I would imagine that she has like the most, like, we need to forgive everything, especially me. Pro yeah, probably. I mean, and, you know, Hope's with them, and Hope shot out one of Cyclops' eyes. So That's true. And they've decided that they've done the same for Dark Beast. So, like, we're going to forgive him for everything. Sure. 
Okay. I mean, yeah. Why not? Uh, well, you don't have regular beast here, so why not, right? Uh, and then Juggernaut and Magneto show up and start fighting, but it turns out it's not Magneto. It's his clone, Joseph. I really oh, wish he had a goatee. <laughs> that would have been great, but he didn't. Oh my god. But Joseph, so they're all talking to them, and Juggernaut decides, hey, you know what? Like, this guy, this Joseph guy, like, first of all, I thought he was really Magneto, and he lied to me, so I'm kind of pissed. And I think I'm going to side with Scott and everybody. Can I be an X-Man again? And Jamie's like, well, you're not really a mutant to begin with. And someone, like, elbows Jamie's like, do you really want to bring this up to <laughs> Juggernaut right now? And it's like, okay, sure, Juggernaut's now on board. And they all take a vote, and they all say, yay! So he's now on board. And then they're like, what are we going to do with Joseph? Just as they're deciding, Joseph gets shot in the neck. And he dead. And who has shown up? Quanin. What? Yeah. Sure. Why not? Of course, you know, Cyclops didn't know that Betsy, that Betsy repieced herself back together to like her British self so he's like what's uh -huh. Betsy doing here I thought she was dead and they're like yeah that's not Betsy and so she starts speaking in Japanese they're like Logan translate and he's like yeah she's Quanin something 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 wants to kill this guy whatever I'm not listening <laughs> like okay I like this version of Logan he's kind of funny it's like old man Logan but he's not old but young. right Young old man Logan. Right. So old at heart. So that's where I'm just like, okay, so we're so Quanin. How? I'm guessing they're gonna explain eventually. Or maybe not. You're just gonna have to figure it out. I mean, because her body is gone. Right. Because it disintegrated whenever Betsy went through her thing. Her mind is gone because her mind died in Revanche's body, Betsy's old body. So I'm going to guess it's the hand. Matsuo must have done something. Did Does, Seth have answers to this? Because I feel like this is the type of thing that Seth would totally be like, oh yeah, back in 2008 in this one issue of this one series, they explain all of this. Maybe, maybe she's shown up before, but same time, because most, some of them were like, Betsy? Because Logan, it was Wolverine and Cyclops were definitely like, what's Betsy doing here? I thought she was dead because they've been dead. Not like they know. Right, right. So, okay. which makes me think that she hasn't shown up recently as Quanin. Right. Of all the characters to bring back. Okay. Well, you know, X-Force brought back Strife, so, you know, what? why the fuck not? Why not bring another double that happened during Siege Perilous back in, what was it, the 80s? Whenever that arc? I got no answer for that. I really don't. The X-Men, though. That's all I can say. Although, I will say, it sounds like the X-Men have a finally, this series has finally gone into the trifecta of bullshit that I can't stand. Time travel, alternate timelines, and clones! 
<laughs> yeah, well, the clone took a took a clone. took a quick uh, exit stage left. <laughs> oh, good. Well, you know, Quanon killed him, so well, that's true. That's true. But you've opened the door to cloning. You know, and that's one of those things that they never like introduce cloning, and then they're like, "We're never going to talk about it again." Oh no, no! If you have one clone, you have lots of clones. You know, the problem is, is that you've lost like most of the X Men as it is. So, Seth still isn't giving me a straight answer of how Jamie Madrox is up and walking around. Because he died on Muir right. Island of the Mpox, which is, and it was Scott finding him that killed Scott. Right, right. Okay, yeah, this is all making, well, X-Men sense. Right, so unless this is a Jamie Madrox from a different time mm-hmm. and has come back, you know, like Old Man Logan mm-hmm. or Bishop... <laughs> I have no idea. No, well, I, obviously, I don't either. So, oh my god. Well, you know, I can't keep up, man. Yeah, bless your heart for doing it. Just because there's so many different series, I'm not even right. touching um, Major X or even the Age of X Man because I don't care about the Age of X Man. Age of X Man takes place in this. All right. In this alternate reality in Legion's mind where he had sent Nate Gray. When he had embodied Nate Gray, sucked him in, kept him I'm like sorry, a, what? Yeah, yeah, okay, so <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't want to begin with this. This is gonna be a great explanation, I can tell already. So I don't I don't remember what series I Maybe this was how X-Men Gold ended. Maybe it was another X-Men. Un- it was un- Yeah, no, this was all in Uncanny X-Men. Okay. Um, Legion was warning everybody about Nate Gray coming back. Ex-Jesus. Right, right. Okay. And then, because, you know, Legion, he's made up of all these different personalities mm-hmm. and all that. So he somehow, and he's also an Omega level telepath. What? They like saying that. Yeah, like a lot. Yeah. And uh, he uh, absorbed Nathan into one of his personalities and was like, I can house you here. Right. Accidentally got a couple of the other ex-kids as well. So there was this whole thing where they were in there for like 20 years Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out how they're going to get out when it turns out they're only gone for five minutes. So this is like a whole series about what happened, I guess, during those twenty years. I don't. Okay. I don't care. I was going to say, are, are we caring about? Well, this? Apparently, Seth does. What's that? So, and I'm I'm going to wait to find out who Major X is before I even jump into that. And I've bailed from X Force right. so after you bring in Strife. I was like, uh, nope. Okay, you know what? No, it's not even just Strife. It was learning who this kid Cable might be. Like, no, mm-hmm. no, I can't. I can't. Right. Well, but then, so also in Marvel, you're reading Captain Marvel too, right? All right, and this one I can I can be pretty brief with it. 
the thing about Captain Marvel is that so she and a whole bunch of other women have been kind of like taken into this uh, world dominated by this guy who's like trying to find his perfect bride or whatever. And as they go to attack him in his arena, because he also has some power dampeners going on. So Captain Marvel doesn't have a lot of her powers. And um, as they're attacking him, she gets attacked by Rogue, as it happened at the end of the last issue. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. So basically, they're in this arena, and he's like, well, you know, whoever, whoever wins this will, will be, be my wife type thing and rogue is obviously not in her right mind she's constantly attacking captain marvel and plus that you know she does have that ability now where she doesn't have control over her absorption and so carol is constantly getting absorbed which of course is bringing on a slight panic attack because you know this has kind of happened before when she was trapped in her for a very long time maybe a little bit and the whole time she's like crying and freaking out just like not again i can't i can't do this again but at one point when Rogue, like, has her and is grabbing a hold of her, Rogue is crying. And she says, Carol, please kill me. So Carol realizes that Rogue is not under her control. And so she comes up with a plan. And she grabs Rogue. And she's like, Rogue, listen to me. I need you to absorb me completely. But when I'm in there, you have to let me take control. Do you understand? And Rogue says yes. And so Captain Marvel lets go. And Rogue totally absorbs her. And so she's going through. She's like, I can't believe I'm doing this again. She's like, but Rogue does let her take over her body. And she's like, she said, yeah, you never get used to looking through someone else's eyes and seeing your body on the ground. (laughs) Yeah, I bet not. And so it's like, okay, what's she going to do next? And I forget what this guy's name is, but he stands next to her. And he was like... You think I didn't hear all that scheming and you think I didn't have a backup plan for this possibly happening? Oh, snap. And that's how the issue ended. Oh! Yeah. Did I mention that I like Kelly Thompson a lot? She does... She really does good with, like, decent arcs and Mm -hmm. cliffhangers. And she's also very good about uh, not making cliffhangers be meaningless. Yeah. It sounds like she actually follows through with them. Yeah, so far she has, yes. A lot of authors could take note of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, Captain Marvel's been kind of, like, my one little delight. Actually, no, my second delight. Yeah. Because my other right. one is your delight. And that is Murder Falcon. <gasps> Murder Falcon! How delightful was this issue? It was both delightful and sad. Okay, that's fair. But let's let's start with the delight. Um, they're in Japan. Last issue, they got rescued by a very striking Japanese gentleman with a violin. Um, at one, so I know that we've talked a lot about this series and just how off the wall delightful it is. Um, at one point. The entire Japanese Philharmonic Orchestra is playing together to control a giant samurai battling a monster. If you can't find sheer joy from that, I don't even know what to say. Like, not just any I, samurai, but it was like a mech samurai. <laughs> a 
Oh yeah, like a giant samurai mech that is like what I, you would expect from Japan. Pretty much, right? It was like the most stereotypical like metal kind of yeah, anyways, it was just wonderful. And every piece of it, every piece of it just it made me feel it just reaffirmed my love of the series because I was like, this is so out there crazy and it works. It and so kind of like we were talking about earlier with uh Shazam, this series, so you have that moment, which is just so crazy and so fun. And they continue to balance it with this super dark, super sad story of our hero finally coming to terms with the fact that he's dying. Right. I'm trying to and find not in that slow, this kind of way. I'm trying to find this panel that I just loved. Oh yes, it was when the when his band arrived, and you mm-hmm. have the trombone player. Yes, <laughs> straddling the gun of a tank. Of a tank. Oh my gosh. Oh, and then like, there's the guy. I'm looking at that same panel right now. The the guy that who's in the uh, motorcycle sidecar. The sidecar with the tuba. The guy driving the motorcycle has jingle bells. Yes, he has the stick with all the bells that you used to play at elementary school. And a guy riding on the back of the motorcycle has a triangle. Yes, there's a triangle, you guys. And then if you notice on the tank, one of the tanks in the back, there's somebody on a grand piano on the back of a tank. Because where else would you put a grand piano? And bongos. Oh, yeah, and one of the guys in the train has a cello. I mean, it... I like how the truck is definitely Optimus Prime. Oh, unquestionably Optimus Prime. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, again, covered with somebody playing a hammer dulcimer, a harp. (laughs) It is... You guys, it is so delightful. This is... And it's not just... So part of me was like, I love music. So I was like, oh, you know, maybe that's why I like this so much. But I don't necessarily think that's why. I think it's just all around awesome. Like, I think it's just objectively awesome, unobjectively awesome. I think the liking of music helps. But the great thing about it is, you know, I think about this and, you know, how many musicians would love it if their music could save the world, you know? Oh, my God, yes. And, uh, And it's... What I love about it, and it's probably be, it helps that I was in band for so long. Mm-hmm. But how he has like these personalities, people who would play these instruments, nailed it. Because a trombone player would be writing on the barrel of the main artillery oh, yeah. on a tank. Oh yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. No, I. And somebody has a keytar at one point. Oh my god, she broke out the keytar. I'm like, okay. <laughs> this is just oh, amazing yeah. at this point. Oh yeah. It's, it is just so wonderful. But then, you know, the whole thing is that Jake is trapped inside kind of his own head with Magnum Chaos. And it's not just the fact that his wife kind of sings to him to reach to him. It's that we finally kind of learn just how far gone Jake is. He, not only does he have to come to terms with the fact that he is dying. Mm-hmm. So he's had this long 
metal blonde hair, right? The whole time when he pulls it off and reveals that it's a wig because... Yeah, yeah. I didn't see that coming. I did not either. And again, you see how close this man is to dying. And that right. he just... It's just something he has to come to terms with. It's shockingly dark and it's shockingly... I don't know how to say it. It's like a nice storyline while also being horribly sad. Yeah, I have a feeling. So the reason why this made me sad, and it's not just because of him coming to terms with his, you know, coming right. mortality and, you know, his wife singing to him the lullaby she always sang when he was at his lowest, when he was sick and all, or, or seeing him in the wheelchair with the IV it was that I got to the end and I saw that, oh, so the next issue is the last issue. I was like, son of a bitch. Yeah. I wanted to know more about these characters and you're just going to end it. Oh, yeah. Well, but on the other hand, so, and I think this comes from the difference. We, we make jokes about this a lot about me being on Hipster Island is that I've read so many series over the years that are just these little short 10, maybe 20 issue arcs because the author had a really quick story they wanted to get out there and it works really well because on one hand you're like oh I'm so sad that this ended but on the other hand you don't end up getting to like issue 40 where you're like okay and now this happened for some reason and I have no idea where it's going and they're bringing in aliens and time travel and exactly <laughs> alternate universes exactly. so I think, I've, I think I've said that a lot too is that like I tend to not read a lot of series. I tend to read like one shot books because I like stories that can just be told and be done. Right. So I actually kind of, I mean, on one hand, yes, again, I'm sad because I want to spend more time with these characters, but I was like, oh, okay. So man, he just had a story he wanted to tell, which I don't know. It's my hipster island. I love it. I mean, it's a really good story. I just have a feeling this, this last issue is going to, I'm going to need lots of Kleenex. Yeah, I have a feeling so. I I don't see any way in which Jake walks away at the end of the mm -mm. series. And I, and I kind of I kind of don't want him to either. Like, part of me is like, oh, I wonder if the power of music is going to heal him. And I really I hope not, actually. I hope they stick to that original. Because I think that would rip away a lot of the emotional gravitas. Right. You know? Because in a, in a way, you know, having him and with the band back together and him apologizing to everybody for how he acted without, you know, you know, him just lashing out. It's like, you don't understand what it's like. And um, what was it? The uh, drummer? She was like, are you kidding me right now? Because oh, you, Jimmy, yeah. Yeah. Cause, right Cause she's dealing with her dad. Um, you know, just, just so they all have that nice forgiveness. Yeah kind of going on yeah it's yeah I, I think i think there's a lot of closure here to have which i hope we get um but it has just been such i i bought it because of the eagle i came for the metal and the eagle with mechanical arm and the story has just gripped me so it's just mm -hmm. so nice they managed to balance this awesome stuff with something that's actually very poignant same time, I was like, man, all my series are ending. <laughs> Tell me about it. Because, like, this one's 
about to end. Titans just ended. Green Arrow just ended. Heroes in Crisis ends next week. Um, Doomsday Clock will end, I don't know, maybe by December, by the way that they, how often they release the issues. <laughs> right. I don't know what's going on. and I mean, I'm sure X-Men will get canceled again and going to have to find another X-Men series because they just can't keep it going longer than about 50 issues. That's true. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Tell me about series endings, though, please. Jen, you now have the conch. <laughs> you guys, I need thoughts and prayers right now. I really do. Um, so East of West came out. So let me tell you a little bit about my morning. I woke up. I got to Comixology. I saw East of West. I immediately downloaded it. My... I live in Colorado, so my daughter didn't have school today. If you've kept up with the news, you're familiar that all like all of Denver shut down. And um, so my husband decided he was going to stay home, so he was going to sleep in. So I was like, oh, I'll go sit in the kitchen and I'll make myself some coffee before I shower and stuff. And I'll read East of West because, oh, my goodness, it's out. I started cussing so loud that my husband actually woke up and came out to the kitchen to make sure I was OK. Like he thought there was a problem. And there was. <laughs> there was. I'm still angry about it. So I think I said that back like in December, Image announced rather suddenly, I felt, that East to West was going to end at issue 44 or 45. And I had even said at the time, I was like, wow, like there's so much for them to wrap up and close. And we keep having months and months and months between issues. And when the new issues come out, I keep saying, I don't know how they're going to wrap this up. Mm -hmm. So last issue, and I had to go back to give you guys an idea of how jarring today's issue was. I had to go back and read last issue because I was convinced I had missed something. So last issue has, it was a big setup. They have the Prince of New Orleans meeting back with Wolf because they had been good friends and they're kind of making their own plans and schemes. Death is going off to face all of his siblings. And uh, Archibald has Belle Solomon and the one-eyed bartender just go with it at this point. And he brings him to this big supply ship and he's like, this is our next step. We're going, we're taking the fight somewhere. I don't know where, somewhere. And so that all happens. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is all a setup. And again, I think I said this last podcast, I was like, I don't, there's so much to wrap up. This issue starts with death, who color is a big thing in this. I think I've mentioned several times, I love Nick Dragota's art style. Color has been a big thing. The horsemen, war is all red, just like fire engine red. And conquest is blue, like your shirt blue. And pestilence is like Nurgle green and death has always been white like a ghost right just like white white all of a sudden death is black and he's facing all of his siblings who and this is another important thing the siblings were reborn this cycle as children like my daughter's age and then throughout the series they kind of aged to teenagers which is about where they were at now suddenly they're adults they're just adults 
Oh, and one of them has gender swaps, which they established very important, very early that this is important. Every cycle, the horsemen are reborn to two are male and two are female. So last cycle, war was a woman. Um, let's see, conquest was a woman, pestilence was a man, and death was a man. So then when they were reborn, except for death, for obvious reasons, um, everybody was the opposite. And they established that that's very important to their character. War suddenly a woman again. And it's funny because early in the series, she laments. She's like, ugh, last time I was an awesome woman and now I'm a stinky little boy. So I would have assumed that if she could have like just become a woman at some point, but I, I have no doubt that this is going to be some fuckery. That they'll be like, oh, you thought that was real? Notice that war is a woman. <laughs> so, anyways, Death comes to see his siblings. War produces a bag that's bloodied and says, "I have your wife's head in this bag. Your wife is dead." Now, on one hand. We knew she was going to die. Well, kind of. 20 issues ago or so, they foreshadowed that when Death and Shaolin part, they're like, this would be the last time that they ever saw each other alive. Okay. And I have a feeling she might still be alive because they throw hands, arms at him, and there was a very distinctive tattoo that she had, mm -hmm. which I guess she could do. Anyways, it doesn't matter. My first question how did they kill Shaolin? Like, when did this happen? Why? What? Okay, we're just gonna go with it, I guess. They get into this fight. He kills, Death kills Conquest in, like, two panels. He kills Pestilence in, like, three panels. Just kills them. Kilt! Like, yeah, in the, the, the straight-up key and peel. Kilt! He and War go at it. War fatally wounds him. Death's kind of down on his hands and knees. Out of left field, War comes over and says, I would have loved you until the end of time, but you loved her. You loved a human. Okay, why? Where is this coming from? What? Death kills War because, of course, like in the dumbest way possible, he picks up a bullet and like flicks it and somehow that kills War. Anyways, this is how bullets work. So, now this is all very strange to me. But not nearly as strange as the fact they're fighting, like, on the ground, like, on the on the ground, and up on a canyon ridge, Bell Solomon, the leader of, I can't think of his name right now, but the chief of the Endless Nation, uh, the bartender, Archibald, one of Shaolin's right-hand men, or women, is there, um, and I think somebody else, oh, the, the bounty hunter guy is there. All these people are just standing there watching. In the middle of the fight, Belle Solomon's like, I'm gonna kill Death. Why exactly? And they tell him specifically, no, he can't be killed with any weapons that aren't of their manufacture. So he takes a shot at Death. Yeah, I just, just go with it at this point. He takes a shot at Death. Death is like, ah, that, that kind of sucked. Bullet pops out of him, which is the bullet that he then uses to kill. It just go with it. So, after Death Kills War, Bell Solomon comes down off of this ridge, picks up Pestilence's weapon, and kills Death. And 
that's like the end they then are talking about basically like the in narration is like and this is how it ends and so there's two more issues coming out in which i guess they're going to explain like what happens after this and the rise of babylon who if you remember is the beast of the apocalypse so now that the four horsemen are dead i don't think he can really do his thing maybe this was a dream that's all i can think of and they're gonna actually, dallas I just, it <laughs> actually i just pieced together what it was oh god damn it now that i was so friggin angry i now just pieced together what it was this was this was the past this was the friggin past god damn it why didn't they put this together earlier i'm still so goddamn angry right now you can resubscribe uh, no, I'm not going to resubscribe because F you. So. Not to yeah. me, to Hickman. Yes, no, not you. Sorry, not you. Not this time. Yeah, it just dawned on me that this is the past. They go and they look at the past and this is how. Because they cut off Shaolin's arm, so that's what they bring to him. Oh, good God. I feel like an idiot. I'm still angry. I'm so angry right but, now. But um, I thought death doesn't die or has death died before. Death doesn't die, which makes this all totally fucking confusing, doesn't it? I don't know what's going on right now. And I don't like it at all. I just figured out that this is in the past because they cut off her arms and that's what this is. And they wanted him to die so that then they could restart the cycle. And that's why all these people are standing there. And it's so confusingly terrible. And so, anyways, blah, none of this is important right now. Because the whole time I've been saying, ever since they said that they were going to announce it, you may recall several podcasts ago, I was really upset because I realized the last time that I had an issue with Black Monday murders, and I was, like, really angry about that. Um, and I've been saying, I was like, I think Hickman is distracted. I think either he got tired of these stories or he just has too much else on his plate go to Image Comics today, and apparently I missed this announcement, they're making a show of East of West. So Hickman is clearly in wrap it up mode, like the wrap it up button from Chappelle, um, in the wrap it up mode, and he's just trying to finish this. And guess what? Here's the problem, is that even if this is a view into the past, there is nothing that will satisfy explaining this. Nothing. Literally nothing. I am, it is so convoluted at this point, and there are so many open plot threads, there is no way you finish this in two or three issues. There's just no way. Are you saying that because you feel like they wasted this issue with looking into the past with stuff that you already know? Yes! I'll be honest. I didn't give a single shit about how he got away from his siblings. They kind of already covered it. And if this is the current timeline, and they've killed him... I don't give a shit. I just, you know, the only thing that I can think of, like the only way that I can equivalent this equivalent. to people. Well, you know, the equivalent and yeah, anyways. Equivalent, it should be a word, damn it. The only way that I can equivalent this would be as if Game of Thrones season eight, if they were like, oh, it's only going to be three episodes. And in the first episode, 
they were like, oh, by the way, we're killing Jon Snow and just like everybody. Oh, and Ned Stark's really alive. But that's not important right now. What is important is what Cersei's doing. And then they like are like, don't worry, we'll explain all of this. Just, just go with it. No. Just no. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> I am so angry right now, you guys. I'm so angry. And I kind of feel dumb that I just now put together that it was in the past. But, like, even then, it's still rage. Because there's so much and so much going on. You are not going to wrap this up. And I have no doubt that somewhere in Hickman's mind, he's like, oh, I'll just make it make sense in the show. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Rage. Right, because that never happened. You right, know, I, you someone know. feels out something more in a show than they do in the original writing. Well, there's a reason I used Game of Thrones as an example. Oh, I know. I was also thinking of Fullmetal Alchemist. Oh, For yeah, any anime fans out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, it just... I have become disappointment. I'm sorry. It's okay. I just, I'm not mad anymore. I'm just really disappointed. And yeah. She's and, momming so you, I, Hickman. I, I, so <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see him someday at Comic-Con and I'm going to shake my fist at him as I walk by. Like, walk off. And he'll just be like, mm, another one. <laughs> um... <laughs> I can't be the only person right now. You know, this issue and just the whole thing about it ending so soon has me so angry that, like, usually in the past when people would be like, oh, what are some really great comic series that I should read? I would recommend East of West. Always. I'd be like, oh, my God, East of West, you've got to read this. I've kind of, and I know that through in this podcast, I've kind of been coming back off of that because it's, like, today for this issue they're like the story that's been five years in the making okay yeah well the last year and a half has been because he can't get an issue out more than three months like so i will no longer i'm no longer going to recommend this series to anybody it is not there's just no way that it's going to end on a satisfactory note okay now for realsies thank you for coming to my talk that's all i got <laughs> i'm gonna go cry somewhere now well, at least, you know, no, it was in the past. And it wasn't that they've suddenly rewritten something in the middle of nowhere. It makes it, I mean, it makes it a little better. It's still a waste of time, but it makes it a little better. Yeah, a huge waste of time. Yeah, I guess. I get. Yeah, you're right. You are right. But I'm still going to be pissed about it. And you're not going to resubscribe? No. Not reading the last few issues? No, I'm not. Because, again, there's you're not going to tie this up. And maybe... I'm sure there's somebody who's going to be out, who out there who's like, well, that's kind of the point of a story about the apocalypse. It's not going to have a satisfying ending. You know what? No. No. Just fit it, wrap it up. And I, I can't help but feel like... Cause when they said they were like, oh, we're going to end it at issue 44 or 5 or whatever, I was like, there's at least 15 more issues worth of, like, just 
the subplots and the storyline, all the threads that he's got out there. You can't fix this in that time. Oh, so he basically they're uh, mocking Jaying it. Yes, pretty much. Pretty much. So that's um that's the current trauma that I'm experiencing right now. And um yeah. You know? Other than that, life is friggin' great. Mm, just gonna keep on keeping on and not reading East of West. Or watch Swamp Thing. Okay, you know what? That was unnecessary. I'm just bringing out all your disappointments. Oh my god. So, you guys, DC Universe was going to do a Swamp Thing show, and I was, like, really excited for it, because if you listen to this podcast, you know, like, one of my favorite DC heroes is Swamp Thing. It's the reason I'm raising Justice League Dark. Apparently, they had, like, creative issues or differences or something like that. I know what you're thinking shocking um and now they're not doing the swamp thing show and they break this news on the same day that the dcu releases a teaser which is weird which makes me wonder how true that is you know that's fair that is fair um or was it a is it a Deadpool situation? Oh. Where somebody was not supposed to put that out, but they did, because they were like, no, this is awesome. Um, yeah. Also, I would like to say a special to Seth. I maybe just flipped him off. Um, because he was the one who brought this to my attention. I'm having a really rough comic day, and he's like, hey, did you hear Swamp got canceled? You son of a... Now, why don't you read your response? Because I actually snorted when I read that on my phone where I had to read it out loud to Sean. Oh, God, what did I even say to him? Let me pull that up. Grab my phone. <laughs> I don't even remember what I, exactly what I said You to said, him. what are you going to bring as an encore? Sugar in my gas tank? Yeah, that's it. Yep. I was like, I'm having a really hard day. <laughs> as it is. Um, it? Yeah, I said, Jesus, Seth, I'm having a shitty comic day. What's your encore? Pour sugar in my gas tank? <laughs> yeah, it was a really rough day, you guys. Like, really rough day for comics for me. And, um, yeah. And we were all very supportive in chat. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, with friends like this, he needs enemies. Mm-hmm. There was no support to be found. No thoughts, no prayers, <laughs> just unbridled mocking. Which I guess, you know, if it was otherwise, I, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't be the comic chat, so. You even had Slackbot mocking you. That was, <laughs> that was my own setup too. I had said, I had set Slackbot to tell everybody in the channel that if East of West didn't come out today, to send thoughts and prayers to me because it had been delayed so many times. And guess what? It came out and I still needed the thoughts and prayers. So she's raging about this. All right. Uh, and then Slackbot pops up. <laughs> like it, it could was, not have been more perfect. Oh God. You could not have timed that better. You really couldn't have. It was almost as if Slackbot had a sense of humor. 
which coincidentally I don't about this particular subject. Whatever. I know. I'm really heartbroken. On that note, <laughs> do you want to take us out? Yeah, sure. Thank you all for listening for to another episode about yelling about comics. As always, you can find uh, the podcast on uh, on our website, yellingaboutcomics.com. We're also on iTunes Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Stitcher as well. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at yellaboutcomics, and I am at Crunchy Chocobo. Uh, seriously, if you like Nightwing, where it is right now, tell me. Explain to me. Let's talk. Educate me. I mean, I'm, again... I'm not being a jerk about this. I swear. I really want to be edumacated. And Jen is at Jen Bozier. And of course, we're also on Facebook at Yelling About Comics. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks, most likely to talk about in-game spoilers. <gasps> That's right! Yes! Oh, I know! I'm so excited! Oh, this is all the excitement. Can't wait. All the excitement. Literally all of it. So with that, we're going to say good night and good luck. Courage, but not honor. All of a sudden, the other's power. Keep you in my sleep, I can pick up a tower. Got so much demeanors, it's lightning and sick. I speak like a cheater, I'm moving so quick. Saving the world ain't really that hard when I send the word. I am a star. Saying I'm the chosen one. And now the party's just begun. All this power pulsing through. Bounce off me like I'm bulletproof. I'm gonna shine my light from the top of the world. Don't even know my strength, but you're all gonna learn through the electricity. You know the city won't be the same. I'm gonna shine my Saying I'm the chosen one And now the party's just begun All this power pulsing through I'm gonna shine my light